I've been uh, at this church now, uh, Christchurch Hillsfield, for about six years. Um, the church itself has been going for around about eight uh, years. Now, I know for the few of you here that we're here right at the beginning, uh, you probably look back in a sense of disbelief. I mean, in a good way, that you think that we've actually got here, and that is quite remarkable. But uh, perhaps also with a smattering of exhaustion as well, to put it, kind of put in for good measure. But let's be clear, if we can... God has been very kind indeed. Of the 20 or so that began Christchurch Earlsfield those years ago, very few of that original group remain. Now that is normal in London. The churn of of people coming in and out of churches, in and out of the city, is fairly relentless and it's fairly painful at times uh, as a result. But what a joy. Because we gather here today and can look around, and in a sense we're a testimony to God's kindness and an answer to his promises, that he will grow his church, and he has. So all the glory goes to him. Let me illustrate that point, if I can, with this encouraging little fact. It's a factoid, if you like. Did you know that there are now more children in this church that are being encouraged to grow in their knowledge and love of the Lord Jesus Christ? There are more children in this church today than there were in the original group that began this church all those years ago. God has been very good, and he is sovereign, and he's been very kind to us. But that is just numbers, and they are not that important in my book, and certainly in God's eyes. They're certainly not as important as you, as individuals, and us as a church. And so I ask you, what about you, as you look back in the months that you've been with us? How much have you grown Because that's the growth that really, really matters. Do you love Jesus more today than you did a few years ago, a few months ago? Do you understand God's character and his work amongst us and his sovereign plans for us uh, more now than you did a few months ago, a few years ago? Do you long today to be more like the Lord Jesus than you did a, a few months ago, a few years ago? Because, you see, that is really the growth that matters That is what we're primarily here for. And that is why we're going to be doing this little, if you like, mini preaching series. We're calling it Reach, Build, Train, Send. Tim, it's going to pop up. There you go. We've got four kind of things there. For all the time that I've been here at Christchurch Hillsfield, I don't think I've ever done a little series like this. And if you're new amongst us, please realise this is not our usual diet at all. Normally we very simply open up a book in the Bible Uh, from the Old Testament or the New Testament. And over a series of weeks, we just go verse by verse through that book. We've actually just finished looking at 1 Timothy, Paul's letter uh, to Timothy there. So usually we we, we do something, you might describe it like this. You call it consecutive expository preaching. And that is kind of passage by passage, consecutively we go through a book. uh, And we therefore try to humbly submit ourselves to the intent of the author of that book, trying very hard not to impress what we want the Bible to say, but rather let the Bible speak to us. Let God speak by his spirit and his word to us, to our lives. So we want to exposit the passage, understand what it really means. And the aim is simply that we want God to speak directly to us. We want to hear his voice through his word, empowered by his spirit. In some ways, that seems utterly unimpressive, doesn't it? There are always temptations to do uh, something slightly more exciting, if you like. 
But that is the way that we see the apostles and the early church teach the word of God. Also, this is, I think, as the Bible tells us, the greatest and most powerful work of the Spirit. That is to illuminate God's word to us. Lastly, I, I guess I want to just look around. There is evidence sitting beside you that this, as I call it, bread and butter way of preaching, you know, just going through a book, very simply, very kind of normally, it is a very powerful vehicle for God to work, and he has worked. Isn't that clear? Let's be honest, the means by which we receive God's word week in, week out, that is through the preachers, well, that is very unimpressive indeed, isn't it? Just look at Ash, for example. I mean, I'm joking there. That was far too easy, wasn't it? Sorry. Um, Anyway, like uh, Paul in 2 Corinthians, chapter 12, verse 9, we are all evidence to the fact that in our inadequacy, we can see God's grace is sufficient. And in our weakness, God's power in Christ rests upon his adopted children. Now, I begin this way because I think it's going to be helpful over the next uh, four weeks to keep acknowledging these important realities as we go through this series. We need to recognize God's sovereign power and his kindness as we see him work in and through us. But we do so also acknowledging very humbly our weakness, our frailty, our inadequacy. We are simply just jars of clay, as 2 Corinthians puts it. God is great. We are not But miraculously and mercifully, he uses us and he calls us through his word to be responsible servants in response to Christ being the true and better servant of all. So this series is an examination, as we put here, of four biblical priorities. Four priorities that God calls his people individually and corporately to live out. And we do it ultimately for God's glory in his strength in response to the gospel. Now, given the subject, we will have to look at a number of Bible passages. We've heard one read. We'll kind of scoot around a few today, um, just, you know, in in short times. This uh, kind of teaching, I guess you might call a thematic teaching. It's a, a doctrinal teaching. It isn't what we're used to, I know. But every so often, it is helpful to get a bigger picture. I hope you can understand that today. But please understand these, these four biblical priorities. Oh, go back a bit, Tim. You're... Tim's always doing this, rushing ahead, there we go. Four biblical priorities, stay on that one, that's fine. Please understand these four biblical priorities, they reach, build, train, send. These are not an exhaustive list of imperatives that you can see within the Bible that God calls us to do. Yet we could have found, you know, grow, we could have found a whole heap of other ones that churches that we know, we love, they're good friends of ours, locally, internationally, everywhere, have chosen different priorities. That's okay. We don't want to be arrogant and say, we just... Pick four, and we think they're helpful. But I hope you'll see why reach, build, train, send are helpful, encouraging, biblical priorities for us to have here at Christchurch Hillsfield. So here we are, reaching others with the life-changing good news about Jesus Christ. Building committed disciples of Jesus Christ. That will be next week. Three weeks on, training gospel workers. And lastly, sending out and supporting gospel partners. Each, of course, is fundamentally, if you go on, Tim, underpinned. We're not going to look at these, but I think these are obvious and given. Three underpinning commitments uh, of all Christians, that we are dependent on God in prayer, that we are hearing and obeying God's voice in the Bible, and that we're trusting in the saving gospel of Jesus Christ, that vein that travels the whole way through Scripture. And all, if you like, underpinning that completely is because we are passionate for the glory of God. That is our goal in all things. 
Less of the bottom, more of the top over the next four weeks. But each of these fundamentals calls God, uh, God calls to be exercised and lived out through these four biblical priorities. Reach, build, train, send. Now you'll see on your outlines, there's a kind of few pointers uh, for today as we look at this biblical priority to reach. We are called by God to reach others with the life-changing good news about Jesus Christ. So we're going to look at these four things. Tim, if you just go on. Four points as reach. We're going to look at the means for reaching others, the need for reaching others, the instruction to reach others. That will include, in a sense, the scope of this as well, and the urgency uh, to reach others. Let's dive in there if we can. Uh, Skip forward, keep going, keep going, brilliant. And now we'll go forward to the means, the means uh, for reaching others. Tim, you can now calm down, you're okay, just relax, brother. You're there, you're with me, that's okay, we're all right. The means uh, for reaching others. Of course, we are, we're called to reach others. And the great news of the gospel is that we're not called to reach others with ourselves, our abilities, our wisdom. And it's not the ultimate means. You see, the liberating joy of the Christian faith is that we are not the end point. We're not the ultimate means that God uses to bring people into his eternal love. The ultimate means for reaching others is found in God himself as he is sovereign and the gospel, that is the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. But the gospel is not only the means of reaching others, it's also the motivation, it's the power for reaching others. That is, it must be central to absolutely everything that we are as a church and individually too. The problem is, when we forget this, that the gospel is absolutely central, uh, it turns everything upside down in a sense. And that was the issue for Peter in Galatians 2. Why don't you just turn to that if you can, have a look, uh, and I'll just read a couple of verses to refresh our minds if I can. Look at verse 15 and 16 of Galatians 2. I think it helpfully reminds us that the gospel must be everything. Verse 15, we who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles, know that a person is not justified by the works of the Lord, doing stuff, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in in Christ Jesus, that we may be justified, made right with God by faith in Christ, and not by works of the law, because by the works of the law no one will be justified. I don't know if you read that and you kind of think, isn't it extraordinary that the Apostle Peter needs to be reminded that the Christian faith says utterly distinctly, we can only be saved by the work of God, supremely through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, the gospel. It's this saving good news of the gospel that is the only means that we can reach anyone for the glory of God. What Paul is making clear here, and what needs to be clear in all of our minds, that none of us, absolutely none of us, can be saved for heaven by what we do. By, you know, the stuff that we might accumulate in our lives and say, oh, look at that, look at my spiritual CV. No. The only way that any of us can be made right with God, justified, is through God's work, through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. None of us can be, made, can be justified and made right through anything that we have done. It is simply through faith in Christ's work and what he has done. That is, trusting in his perfect life, in his substitutionary death and his eternal life-giving resurrection that can be counted to us through faith. It is a gift of grace. That is the gospel. 
And the problem I guess we all have uh, is that this is essentially a reversal of uh, kind of the normal order of the way that we think and live. And certainly within world religions, that is the case. You see, every world religion teaches something so contrary. It says, you are saved by your performance, what you can do, your works. And it's the problem that Peter faced in Galatians 2. It's the same problem I think so often we face too. Look at verse 12, if you can, with me in that passage. See, Peter, let me give you a bit of context. He's, he's intimidated by this group called the circumcision group. Now, you've got to understand that this group, they, they believed in Christianity. They looked at Jesus and they understood he was the Messiah, the Son of God. But what they did is they said, yeah, that, that's okay, that, that's great, that's, that's 95%. But you've got to, do, you've got to add something. You've, you've got to go back to some of the laws of the Old Testament. Circumcision, like food laws and stuff. Let's just add those, just, just to make up that last bit. In a sense, it becomes, as Peter, in Peter's heart and in our hearts too, it becomes a battle of orders in some ways. And simply there are two options. And listen carefully here. See which one you fit into best. Do you obey God in order to be saved? Or are you saved so you obey? Do you obey in order to be saved? Or are you saved so you obey? Let me put it another way. Do you say, I obey God so I'll be loved and accepted by him? Or the other way, am I already loved and accepted by God in Jesus Christ, so therefore I obey? There are two orders. One you might call the religious order, one you might call the gospel order. And inside both, of course, slightly confusingly, both have you know, kind of obedience in them. But the order is really important, isn't it? They are radically different. Think about it. If you obey God and you think you're accepted by God by your obedience, then what's your work, what's your obedience like? Well, often it would be very anxious, isn't it? You're not quite sure whether you've done enough. And so you're, going, you're always thinking, have I met the mark today or, or this week? Or, uh, you know, it's anxiety there. But also the selfishness, because why are you doing it? The richest person, they might read their Bible, they might pray, they might give lots of money to the church, but why? They do it to get something. It's selfish. And it becomes a burden in time. And often it's very joyless. Now flip it around the other way, the gospel way, if I can, for a moment. What if you obey knowing you already have everything, absolutely everything as a gift of grace? What if you already know that you are loved, that you, that you have intimacy, a guaranteed eternal future, acceptance before God? You see, Christians, people of the gospel, obey and the motivation is not burdensome, it's joyful. We come to God not with an empty heart, but thinking we've got to fill it with good things and do lots of good stuff just to kind of make our way to God. No! We come absolutely full, totally accepted, wonderfully loved in Christ, through faith in Jesus Christ. And so we come full and we obey for God's sake, not our own. We love our neighbour for our neighbour's sake, not our own. See, the gospel, putting our faith in Jesus Christ, brings about this radically and completely different way of life, different motivation, different experience too. The fruit of the Spirit 
is the experience. And do you see the difference between the two orders? It's subtle, but it's so important that we get it. Look at verse 20, uh, just to sort of, it's, it's kind of spelt out there uh, in the gospel order. When you become a Christian, look what he says, you're crucified with Christ. When you put your faith in him, you're united with him. That is, your sins are paid for. We get his righteousness. It's that wonderful swap on the cross. As we put our faith in Jesus, his perfect life is counted as ours. And our sinful lives is punished on him. Now we, you're probably wondering, why have I gone through this? We have to grasp this fundamental truth before we begin to think through any of these biblical priorities. Martin Luther, the great reformer, called it, described it this way. He said, this is the great breakthrough that we all need to get to. You have to break through from one order, that religious order. I do stuff to get to God. You have to break through to the new order, the gospel order, which says everything's been done in Jesus Christ. And so I respond in obedience. We are called by God to reach others with the life-changing good news about Jesus Christ. But I begin this way simply because I don't think we can reach anyone with the gospel if we don't understand the gospel. Trust the gospel. Live out the gospel in every area of our lives. It has to be central to everything. Because the gospel is so much more than just the basics. And that is what Paul reminds Peter in verse 11 to 14 of the passage you've got in front of you. Peter seems to have forgotten the gospel. He wasn't applying the implications of the gospel to every area of life. Uh, He even led others astray, we see in verse 13. Now, with Peter, the issue is there of racial integration. And Paul is strong in his rebuke. Look at verse 14. When I saw that you were not acting, look at it, in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas, but that's Peter, in front of them all, you are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? The point is, the implications of the gospel must be so broad. Every area of life, it should change everything. Think about it for yourself. Take work, for example. Have you let the gospel kind of work, you know, just change the way you work, where you relate to your colleagues? Are you distinctive? You know, are you light in that very dark place? Are you? What about your relationships? What about money? Your attitude towards the poor and needy, the, the Welsh. They're doing well, aren't they? That's great. Brexiteers versus Remainers. Have you allowed the gospel to to challenge and change and mold your attitudes and the way you respond to those people? See, the gospel calls us for a radical change in every area of our lives. But did you notice that Paul doesn't say to Peter, you are disobeying various rules with regard to race? Peter is, but Paul doesn't state that, does he? Interesting, Paul goes after, doesn't go after his will. He doesn't say, stop being like that. Stop doing that. What does he do? He goes after his heart. You see, many of us here, you might even say today, oh yeah, I, I understand the gospel. I believe the gospel. But has it affected your heart? Has it transformed your life, your loves, your thoughts? Paul just says to Peter, as he, I guess he says to us now by the Spirit, remember the gospel. Apply the gospel. 
Remember its power to save. Remember that because of the gospel, we come before God full, loved, cherished, complete in Christ. See, we must clearly understand the gospel and apply the gospel every day and know that we are not the ultimate means by which our friends will be saved. Rather, it is this powerful good news of Jesus Christ spoken by the weak, us, inarticulate lumps like us, but lumps that ought to reinforce and reflect the gospel in every area of our lives. As a church, Christchurch Hillsfield is very little. It's nothing in a sense. But the gospel is everything. And we must apply it to every area of our lives. Live it out and proclaim it. We are called by God to reach others with the life-changing good news about Jesus Christ. So I think we've seen the means for reaching others. I've gone through a few things there. Let's secondly go to the need for reaching others. The last three are quite... Shorter, So please don't panic. I've looked at the time. I'm panicking. You shouldn't. <clears throat> this building uh, where we're sitting right now uh, stands at the centre point of three areas that we know and love in London. To the east, there is Ellsfield. Population, last census details, 15,000 people. Uh, to the southwest, there is Wimbledon Park. And last census details tells us that is 11,000 in population. To the northwest, just literally across the road there, uh, where the doctor's surgery is Southfields, population 16,000. If you were to draw a, uh, a circle with this as the uh, centre point uh, of a circumference of two kilometres, uh, I think roughly I estimate there are about 60,000 people that live within that circle. Let me tell you a few other details as well. You'll see the need. The average age of the people in the postcodes represented within that two-kilometre um, uh, radius um, is 33. The median is 31. 30% of the people are married, 39% are single, 16% cohabit, and in the last census, the rest were unsure. <laughs> Here's one thing for you, which I found fairly sobering, which the census is really helpful on. In Ellsfield alone, the voting district of Ellsfield, there, are, there were in 2011 603 widows. 53% of the population call themselves Christian. I don't think we need to read too much into that statistic. I'll speak about that in a moment. Because 78 people also identify themselves as Jedi Knights. But if 53% of the population went to church regularly, what would we have to do? We would have so many services throughout the weekend, as would every other church in the local area, if 53% of the population regularly came to church. Now, there are some very good churches in this area, but I think we can all acknowledge that ticking a box in a census form in 2011 isn't the most accurate analysis of authentic, eternal relationship with God. With that said, why don't we just briefly turn, turn back to Matthew chapter 9 if you can. Matthew chapter 9, page 974, Matthew chapter 9. We have in this uh, very famous passage uh, an extraordinary story. I won't read it all, um, 
if you ever look through verse 35, as I'm just speaking here, we see a regular pattern that's happening in this section of Matthew. Jesus is traveling, he's teaching, his priority is to proclaim the life-giving message of the gospel, primarily and firstly to the synagogues, the Jewish people, uh, then to other crowds. But we see in verse 36, a crowd gathering, and Jesus' initial response to the crowd that gathers, look at it in verse 36, when he saw the crowds, he was quite frustrated. No, he had compassion on them. Because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. It's really interesting, and that is in in Matthew 9 36, Jesus views these crowds firstly with compassion. Now, I think we find that particularly difficult because many around us seem at first look quite the opposite of the crowds in this story. My my neighbours that live just down the road here in Wilbur Park, they don't look harassed and helpless as they buy their coffee macchiato things that the, you know, as they head to their very well-paid jobs. They don't look harassed and helpless as they get into their lovely brand new cars or as they open up their lovely doors at the back of their house on the new extension. They don't look harassed and helpless. But if we are to see the need to reach those around us, we must begin to view them with gospel eyes. Remember Peter in Galatians 2? His main problem, I guess, is he was looking down on people, thinking he was better. But the gospel ought to give us clarity to see ourselves as we are. As the famous hymn goes, Amazing grace, how sweet the sound, that saved a nice bloke like me. No. Saved a wretch. Saved a wretch like me. See, before God and without Christ, I am a wretch. We all are. And none of us can look at anyone else with any sense of superiority. We must look upon Earlsfield and Wimbledon Park and Southfields and Wandsworth, wherever we live, with gospel eyes. That is, with compassion. Compassionate gospel eyes see the need to reach people with the saving message of Christ. And only with that kind of humility can we begin to see the reality of what is out there. As Jesus does in verse 37, look at it. Then he said to the disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Now the harvest he's speaking of there, of course, is is the people, the harassed and helpless, the ones with the sheep without the shepherd. He's speaking of himself there. Uh, They need Christ. Look around. There's very few workers and the harvest is massive. The need to reach others with the saving gospel of Jesus Christ should be plain for us all to see. Just look at the numbers. For all with compassionate eyes, gospel eyes, we should very clearly see the need. So pray. Ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers, you, into the harvest field. Thirdly then, let's go to the instruction. I guess we know this. Let's just turn ahead to Matthew chapter 28. Again, very well-known passage, but just I want to look at a couple of verses here if we can. Matthew 28. Verse 18 through to verse 20. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. 
Again, you know this passage, I'm sure, very well. The risen Lord Jesus instructs with the divine authority that we see in verse 18 that those who follow him, that is his disciples, they are to go and also make disciples of all nations. Now, the scope of that instruction is utterly terrifying, isn't it? If you think of all the nations in this world. But Jesus' instruction to go is not an isolated instruction. We go understanding the power of the gospel to save. We don't go alone, but we go knowing that the Spirit goes with us too, directing us through his words. But our responsibility, if you like, as those saved by the gospel of Jesus Christ, is to live obediently to God in response to his saving grace. As he says, I am with you always to the very end of the age. We can go to the nations, and I pray that some of you will. I'd rather we have to get rid of all of us, and I go and get a job on a market somewhere, and we can send half of you out to some far-flung country around the world to proclaim the gospel. That is our heart. But let's not forget our responsibility right in front of our eyes as well, because we have a unique privilege in this city. Because the fact is the world comes to us. We are positioned strategically in probably one of the most cosmopolitan and most influential and powerful cities in the world. If we can reach the nations with the gospel as they gather here, the impact could be huge worldwide. And many commentators will recognise that. At the last census, again, I turn back to those details, 62% of the population of these postcodes represented around here were born in England. 5% South African. You are welcome. Thank you for the prize. Over 30 nationalities are represented within the two kilometres of the radius around this building. Now, many of them are here for just a time, for work. Long term, many of them will go back to the countries they have come from. And we must heed the instruction of Christ to go. With gospel eyes, we must see that the middle class English professional is as needy before God than the immigrant from Pakistan or Bangladesh or whatever country it may be, they may be from. But our responsibility, the instruction is clear, is it not? In response to the saving gospel, we must go. We must go to the nations, taking the gospel out to the needy people we live amongst. Well, that is the instruction. Lastly, the urgency to reach others. If you're anything like me, a sinful wretch without Christ but wonderfully complete in Christ I struggle I often create excuses in my own heart and mind I often change the conversation I often just don't have the guts we need gospel eyes don't we to reach others for the glory of God we need gospel eyes to see the urgency that we must have to reach others for the glory of God. So often I find myself, and I guess many of you will as well, just saying, oh, I'm so tired. I become apathetic, thinking a better opportunity will arise soon. 
Don Carson did a brilliant talk on this. We, we were away for a weekend last weekend uh, with our little family of churches. It was called Revive. Don Carson, a very famous kind of speaker around the world, um, did a great talk on this. Um, and uh, I'd, ra- I'd rather just point you there, actually, but here we go, um, from Matthew 24. But I won't dwell on this for long, but if I can, let me remind you of one verse. Don't, you don't have to turn there. Write it down if you want. 2 Peter 3.10 simply says this, The day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar, the elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. My friends, if there's one thing as a church we've been doing this year, uh, we've been looking through the book of Revelation in our small groups, I just want to say, you know this. You know the urgency. You know the kind of, the poles which, is, which that book has pushed us to. We understand the eternal destiny for those in Christ. And we understand the eternal destiny for those who do not know Christ, who are not sealed. But this verse should bring us to an urgent point. The day of the Lord will come, unlike a thief. One day Christ will return to judge. He has been raised for that final coming, but he will come like a thief, unannounced. And that will be it. No one will be able to go, oh, 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 give me another chance, please. Oh, I kind of thought about it. I was going to be in two minds, really. But now you're here. No. That will be it. Like a thief. I want to finish this way simply saying, I know too many people who are not ready for that final day. And so do you. And it should terrify you. And it should make you weep. They are trusting in themselves. And they will be found wanting before the judgment seat of Christ. The only way that they will be saved for heaven is to trust the gospel of Jesus Christ. Think of them right now. You call them a friend. And yet how many times have you backed off from telling them the only way that they can be saved is through Jesus Christ. Your neighbours, your colleagues, those in your street. I'm speaking to myself, I guess, as much as I'm speaking to you. I wonder, are we urgent enough as we try and reach this area with the gospel? We are about to sing a line. I think it's one of the hardest lines to sing of any hymn that I know. It's a very old hymn. In fact, it's a, a missionary agency hymn of the, 19th, uh, the turn of the century. It simply says this. It says, unnumbered souls are dying and pass into the night. As the song says, I think we should respond. It says, it drives us to our knees to pray. It should do. But my point today is that I think at that point we then, in God's sovereignty, we should go. We should go out seeing the need, obedient to the instruction, knowing the urgency, but we go with the gospel, the means to reach the people of God. The people, sorry, the means to reach people for the glory of God. Let's pray as we close. Maybe just a moment of quiet as we consider those we know
those we love, those we call friends who need the Lord Jesus Christ, who need to be reached with the power of the gospel.